0: Welcome to the Coding in the Wild podcast, where we explore the impact of computer science across various industries. Okay, welcome back to the next episode of Coding in the Wild, where we talk about connections with computer science. Very excited to talk with our guest today, Suryoshi Baduri. And we're going to have a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to it brings a lot of good insight around impacts of computer science. So, first, nice to meet you, and thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talking about coding in the wild.
0: (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Well, I think the best place to start is maybe just with a quick introduction. So will you give us a little bit about, you know, what's your current job today? What are you focused on?
1: All right. Currently, I lead Global People Research and Analytics at McGraw-Hill. McGraw Hill is the leading learning sciences company. And I work on research leveraging employee data from 45 countries where McGraw Hill has a global presence to really generate data-driven insights. And what that means is that for all the employees at McGraw Hill, we try to get their insights, their important stakeholders at the organization. So we want to get their voice. To reflect in policy and decision making related to organizational effectiveness, culture, talent, inclusion, those kind of fun stuff.
0: That's awesome. And how long have you been doing that?
1: So I just completed two years uh, in July, on July 9th, actually. Yeah, a little over two years.
0: Cool. And what was the path that brought you to this job? How did you end up working in this role?
1: well i have a really interdisciplinary background i started off as a mechanical engineer and then i came to the us for my graduate studies from india and as i was getting my master's i started really getting interested in in, you know understanding engineering education and understanding the classrooms and you know why are there so few women in engineering those kind of questions and so i enrolled for the doctoral program in the department of engineering education i started you know researching a lot on people on on understanding things like um you know what makes learning better how can you use tools to really understand and get feedback and assess how students are learning those kind of things and got interested in statistics of it and and really wanted to research more people so that's I guess that's how I got to my current job here at McGraw Hill.
0: <laughs> so you've been combining a lot of the sort of mathematical, statistical computing ideas but along with the insights around people and organizations.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Like how teams work, how leadership works, how learning and development works, those kinds of things in relation to things like inclusion, diversity, team effectiveness, and then tying them all together with statistics, data modeling.
0: Right. Right. And how, how did you originally learn programming?
1: During my undergrad in India, I had learned a little bit of MATLAB, but hadn't really, didn't really consider myself a programmer or coder. Um, until I came here for my master's, I started, you know, learning about machine learning and code and programs. And I was working on a research for the Center for Tire Research at Virginia Tech. And this was a project funded by the Federal Rail Authority, the FRA. And what they wanted was they wanted to look at breaks at, on railroad lines. So You know, in railway tracks, they wanted to see if there's a defect. Um, And at that time, this was all being done manually. You know, there would be a person who would probably, you know, go to the tracks and see if there was a break on the rail track and then collect data from the tracks and, you know, review that data and so on and so forth. For my master's thesis, I worked with my team to use machine learning to you know develop an algorithm to detect breaks in the tracks. So that really got me, I guess the the problem drove me to adopt coding and learn coding and and then bring it back to my problem statement.
0: (laughs) And just for people who might not know, so MATLAB is, you want to share just what's MATLAB?
1: MATLAB is, is a calculator of sorts.
0: Like a calculator and like a you know programming language, like for a lot of like mathematical.
1: Right. It's it's a lot of developed by MathWorks and it's basically a giant calculator to run simulations and run different mathematical code. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Mathematical related code. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, we'd love to dive back to your you know your current role. So you know, people research and analytics, you know, that's something that people might not know so much about. And for me, one thing that I think is really interesting and I hope to do is say, okay, code is appearing in surprising places. Like you might not know that you could do this type of job and that actually having these insights that you have around computing, around data science, you know, so how do you think about what data science is and how does that come into your day-to-day job?
1: Well, to start off, People research and analytics, like I said before, it deals with the employees at the organization. So everything related to the employees, right from their hiring, their termination, their learning, development, culture, talent, all of it. like Everything related to the life cycle of an employee at an organization comes under the purview of people research and analytics. And, and really, this is, you can think of it in this way, it's basically using data science to really gain insights for HR. It's really understanding or or rather leveraging all the employee data that we have at the organization across different, you know, regions or contexts or job titles or whatever, to really make meaning out of the data. So for example, uh, we look at things like pay parity, or we look at things like, um, you know, in our hiring, in our talent acquisition, are there biases at any any levels? So, data science can go into, you know, getting an idea of where biases may lie. They could give you a predictive modeling. For example, a lot of companies do predictive modeling to understand who may be terminating, who is at a higher risk of leaving the organization versus someone else. So you're right, absolutely. Coding is being used in a variety of different ways in so many diverse applications.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, you're trying to understand all these different things about employees. What's something maybe surprising that you all have uncovered in looking at the data? Or you mentioned that one thing is you have access to this data and thinking about biases. So what's something that you've discovered as part of your work?
1: Right. So one of the most important things that I've realized working with people data is that code is biased.
0: Yeah. What do you you mean when you say that?
1: So hopefully, you know, uh, new learners or educators or teachers who are like listening to this have already heard of this in that there are inherent biases in codes. So, for example, you know with with recent things, for example, code is is used a lot in social political decision making. And these codes may um, reinforce certain stereotypes, or they may perpetuate racism or something. For two reasons. A, they're based on data sets, underlying data sets that, that made themselves be biased. So for the, for example, the training data in a machine learning-based algorithm may be biased. So there may be more responses from a particular group. And so may not be inclusive, for example. So there's that kind of bias. And then there's also bias from the choices that researchers make themselves, like i choose to use a certain code i choose to use a given algorithm or i choose to look at a particular data set so those are the biases that i may make as a programmer so so that is definitely one of the most important things that i've learned in people research is that you need to understand that code is biased and so using mixed methods like not only relying on code but also looking at the context looking at the qualitative data is, is equally important as is looking at the mathematical model behind any phenomenon.
0: Right. Yeah, no, there's a couple of things I want to mention. One is just if people don't know what uh, training data means, training data just means that's just the inputs into whatever you know algorithms you're creating. But yeah, I think what you say about coping bias, that's very interesting because... You know, you think about code and you go, oh, that's just code. It's just subjective. And, and it's not, right? And I think there's more to it because you go with whatever program you're writing, it has its embedded assumptions. With whatever data you have, the data might not be an objective reality. And so all those decisions about how the data is being collected are getting reinforced with that. So I think that's a really good awareness to have. And it sounds like that's something where, you know, you see it more broadly, but it sounds like you guys see that pretty specifically in the work that you do
1: yes we do and one one thing that i think like you mentioned i think there is a lot of great literature out there and i don't know if if you've read it already but my favorite is uh this book by dr safia noble called algorithms of oppression okay that is awesome and and then there's also a great documentary called coded bias which is also great, which talks about um, I think it's the MIT Media Lab and how you know their, their facial recognition systems were biased because the input, like you were saying, the training data input was for a certain. That's time. a
0: really good example. Yeah, yeah.
1: So there was a lot of, you know, racism and stereotypes perpetuated as a result.
0: Right, right. Now, that's a very surprising one where I know people have found like, oh, it's a facial recognition. It just works, right? It either works or it doesn't. It's like, oh, no, it's actually those have been shown that they can be pretty, pretty, pretty racist themselves. Mm, yeah. Jumping around a little bit, I know you are your VP at Society of Women Engineers in New York. What is that? What is that organization? What do you do for it? What do you what's your guys' mission?
1: So the Society of Women Engineers is an international not-for-profit organization and it's basically the world's largest advocate for women in engineering and technology. Society of Women Engineers in New York is a network basically of uh, women identifying engineers and their allies within New York City and Long Island. It's basically a wonderful, wonderful community that is dedicated to promoting professional development, outreach. We have a scholarship and it's basically run by fabulous women engineers and, and part of the board. And um, this is basically, I've been part with of the organization for about, of SWE for about 11 years in SWE New York for about a year and a half. And I think it's one of the best communities that I've been a part of. I think a lot of uh, great information, a lot of great resources, and really women and women identifying individuals really helping each other navigate the tech space. So so it's really cool.
0: (laughs) That's great. That's great. So I'm curious to learn what's something about programming, about computer science, about computing that you would want students to know were learning that they might not know? Something that you've learned.
1: I think given the fact that, you know, I really got into coding so much later in, in my life as opposed to how, you know, some students right now may be starting right in school and kindergarten, even with, you know, uh, programming kits and all of that. I think um, it's important. It was important for me to understand that coding is just, a calculator it's not it's not an intimidating new language with its own unique lexicon and you know it's it's out there to make someone's life easier and that practice makes progress so the more you practice the more you use it and the more you use it for projects you're passionate about which is what happened with me the research questions drove me to really go back to coding and really see if there were solutions out there and related to that i think there's also the fact that no one's really born a great coder you right. know
0: <laughs> i think that's such an important thing because you know on the flip side it is really intimidating you're just starting and you see all these right. they're already they do know how do they know,
1: do they know so much
0: more and you have to remember no one knows this stuff immediately and you just you know you start you find these projects you work with teachers and yeah and i think i uh, you know, it applies in so many, so many ways.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And, and the fact that it's, it's not a level playing field, you know, in computer science. So there's like research uh, showing within computer science, for example, women researchers in terms of publishing will never reach parity with men in the given century. And, you know, I think Along with being a great coder, it's really important, I think, for learners to also learn to be good allies because we're all in this together and the more diverse and inclusive team of coders that you work with, you have better solutions and better products and better services. So I think that's imperative.
0: (laughs) Right. What's a programming language you've used? Do you use any today or a common one that you see being used in the fields around data science or people analytics?
1: So we see a lot of um, use of Python and R. Okay. In the statistics world, there's a lot of R being used. Well, cool.
0: what is? Will you just tell us what is R for those who may not know?
1: Well, so R is an open source programming language. I guess it's it's. I think with programming, once you know one, it's it's kind of really easy to you know go to the other one. It's it's very similar and. It's used by statisticians a lot, and there's a lot of uh, open source code out there with R. It's it's very well supported in the open source community. Uh, a lot of in statistics at least, there's a lot of legacy code that that is built in R. Similar with data science, there's a lot of Python. So I think uh, computer scientists uh, or computer engineers really prefer Python over R. Uh, in my experience, so, so there's a lot of legacy code in Python in that um, right now in terms of a tool that I really like using um, it's Google Colab, because I, I get to. Uh, So Google Colab is is basically it's online. It's 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 an interface where different. It's like Google Docs. I don't know if uh, you know people are familiar with Google Docs, but basically, different collaborators can go in at the same time and write pieces of code together and then make it run and make it work. So it's really cool and it's all in the cloud. You don't really you know one of the major challenges I used to have is logging my work laptop around and for my dissertation so google collab is all on the cloud
0: it's like an ipython
1: right right right
0: like a google docs ipython it's like
1: a google docs
0: ipython exactly okay let let us just say what those are basically what those Mm -hmm. are is and i correct me if i'm wrong but ipython notebooks you know if you're working with data you want to combine what you're writing and explaining but also with code snippets. So those are really cool. And if there's any links that you have that you want to share, we can share those out with uh, the with podcast link. Oh, very cool tool. I didn't even know about it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's super cool. And it's great for collaborating with, like you said, that, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity to explain what you're doing and leave out comments. And it's it's great working on large teams together, because, you know, you're all, especially in COVID times when you're all, you know, displaced, it's nice to go in from all different parts of the world and work on one project together and then run it and see results together.
0: <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you're definitely really passionate about saying, how do we, you know, diversify more? Who's who's working in computer science? What are some changes that, that you would like to see happen, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in schools? with students, for teachers, you know, what are some changes that you're advocating for yourself?
1: There's a lot of change happening already. It's, I mean, these are really, definitely very interesting times that we are in. And I'm really excited about, you know, how, you know, the tools that we're working on are democratized and, you know, there's ease of access to them. And I think just making, coding less overwhelming and more available and accessible I think to a broad range of learners and also I think reducing the silos because I feel like and you know we're doing a better job of it now but I feel like computer science or computer engineering or statistics or um, you know psychology, for example, or organizational leadership, they were all, you know, operating in their little tiny silos. And I feel like now more than ever, we need more interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary teams working with each other to, to, you know, use um, learnings or resources from each other to work towards the better for that given field. So definitely would like to see more interdisciplinary encouragement of more interdisciplinary research and um, and studies and degrees out there, I guess.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, as we're wrapping up, anything else that you would want to share to students who are learning computer science, to teachers who are teaching it that we hadn't chatted about?
1: I think uh, coding is a is a great journey and, you know, wherever you're, on the journey, like keep at it. I think, uh, you know, like we talked about, practice makes progress. So it's a great tool and the world is changing and and I feel like coding is is fast becoming an integral part of everything that we do. Right,
0: (laughs) that's what we say, that's our tagline.
1: So it's a great skill to have. And another skill to have is to make sure that you can adapt to newer type of languages because newer languages will come on coming. So it's Python now. Who knows what it's going to be five years from now? So
0: Right, right. <laughs> well, awesome. Awesome. Well, Sriroshi, thank you so much for being on our show. And we really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Jeremy.
0: Okay, that's a wrap. Join us for our next episode on Coding in the Wild, brought to you by CodeHS.